Genesis 22. It feels good to hear them going back there, doesn't it, again? Getting to join us and then getting a chance to hang out with folks their own age. I have to bend, bend my Bible a little bit so it'll stay on the right page. So uh, this is uh, something that's been on my heart. The last, you know, we go through a lot of books like we did Daniel and stuff like that. Last week I was had been on my heart since... Um, being on vacation and going on that uh, trip to Pennsylvania, um, what is a disciple? That's what. And then this week, I've had this on my heart, and actually, it's, it actually came up at one of our meetings. Is um, what is? I guess there's three things here. What is worship? Like, what is worship? What is sacrifice? And even testing that God allows us to go through. Um, as I had this in my mind, and I was thinking about sharing on this, I was at a um, uh, at a church. Uh, some t- this a week or so ago, and and the worship leader encouraged us. If y'all remember, do you guys remember the story of David when he did the census and like he was not supposed to do the census? Uh, he calls for the census, and then um, this plague to like starts sweeping over Israel. How horrible would that be? Like I'm just saying, like to be uh, how how awful did David must David have felt to recognize I people are dying because of what I did, um, and so he begins to want to build an altar on um, the threshing floor of oh, Arona, Aruna? I can't remember. Okay. And as he's doing that, um, is it Arona or Aruna? Arona. Ar- I can't remember. Aruna? Aruna? Okay, anyways, I could just say Corona. I'll probably get y'all's attention a little bit better. He's on the threshing floor of Corona with lime. Sorry, that's bad. <laughs> He's on the beach. And uh, he comes to him and says, hey, I've got all these oxen in this threshing floor. Hey, king, you know, I mean, hey, David, do whatever you want. And David's response is, well, I can't do something that doesn't, like, I can't offer a sacrifice, an offering that doesn't, sa- I cannot offer an offering that doesn't cost me anything. I just got Corona on the brain now, I guess. Uh, and, and the person was encouraging us to really sing with all of our gusto and all these things like that. And I, I thought, man, that's good. I'm super glad. I'm not to be critical. I'm like, I wonder if that's really the type of sacrifice, you know, that David's talking about here. Um, and so I've been wrestling with this and thinking through this passage and looking like, just diving deeper into what is worship? What is sacrifice? Again, what, is, what, is, what, is, what does it mean to be tested by God? And I think this is super encouraging. I've had to do a lot of repentance as I've read through this. Honestly, God's really just showed me some really, really cool stuff. So let's dive in and let's look at these things because I think that these will give us insights. Though it's not the only place in Scripture. There's so much more we can look at, but some insights into these things. Um, Genesis chapter 22 starts off by saying, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered. So after these things. There's a lot of things that are happening. And just briefly, we all know, or I think most of us probably know that God gave Abraham a promise, right? He made a covenant with Abraham. Abraham, I'm going to birth an entire nation out of you. Look at the stars, Abraham. Like this nation is going to be mighty. It's going to be huge. It's going to be fantastic. And Abraham's got a problem with his wife, Sarah, and he cannot have children. So they try to solve God's problem, this thing for him. You guys ever do this where God gives you a promise? 
Justin, we've been talking about this. And you run a little ahead of God by trying to do it in your own strength. <laughs> I mean, Abraham's having to wait for years and years. Abraham and Sarah are. Like, it's not like, oh, yeah, I decided to wait six weeks. And I'm, I'm like, they're waiting years to have this child. And they can't. So, of course, they decide to do it in their own strength. And we get Ishmael. And, but in the midst of that, as they've had Ishmael, God has a conversation with Abraham. I think this is important for this passage because in the conversation, Abraham's going, use Ishmael, God. And God's like, no, I'm not. I'm going to fulfill the promise that I gave to you. You're going to have a son. His name is going to be Isaac. And he says, I will confirm my covenant with you through Isaac. And I think that that's important to like have in the back of our minds as we're reading through what's taking place, that there was an absolute promise from God that he would have a son, that he would confirm the covenant, and it would be through Isaac that the nation of Israel would be birthed. So it opens up here by saying God tested Abraham. Do you guys love tests? <laughs> I knew we would get that, but you know what? I thought about this today. There's a lot of times we test things, and it's actually like, not bad at all. Like if one of the light sockets went out and I went over there and, and I fixed it, what would I do immediately afterwards? I would test it to see if it actually worked, right? Or if I'm cooking, if I'm a good cook, what am I going to do as I'm making my food? I'm going to taste test, right? Because I don't want to just bring a bunch of food out in front of a bunch of guests and this bland because I didn't put the right amount of salt or it's nasty because I put too much salt in it or whatever. So you do that. What are you doing, Seth? Are you like, is this something to do with, he's over <laughs> Is this taste testing or something? I'm, I'm just sitting over here and he's going. I love, I love Seth. Um, but we do that in everything that we do, honestly, right? Like I've been going to the gym, I test my strength, you know? Whether, you know, it's a hobby or something like this, we have these tests. And God allows us to go through tests. Like, let's just get this out of the way right off the bat. Because I've heard some people say, well, God doesn't do that anymore. Everything is great. And uh, tests are to refine us, and we'll talk about that, and to do some really powerful things in our lives. But God allows us to go through tests as, he, as he's allowing um, Abraham to go through this test. I'll read a couple verses real quick just to kind of point it out in case someone goes, well, well, God doesn't let us go through tests. And also to kind of help us think about why God may test us. Just read a couple verses real quick. James opens up his letter, right? We've heard this a lot of times, but I'm just going to reiterate this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various when you meet trials of various kinds. So whenever you meet a trial in your life, James says, and this is in the midst of persecution. It's not like my TV went out, so I'm getting persecuted. You know, or, um, this is a trial for me. This is like Christians in the dispersion, the 12 tribes, and him, they're getting persecuted. And he's saying, count it joy. Count it joy whenever you meet these trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So when we have tests that come into our lives, what does it produce in us? So have joy, recognizing that, yeah, it might stink even to go through, but it's producing steadfastness. But what does steadfastness do? And the rest of that verse says, and let steadfastness have its full effect. So whenever we become more uh, steadfast in our faith with God, right, we learn how to trust him more through trials. That's how we do it, right? We trust him more as we go through trials and challenges and tests and things in our lives. As that happens, it produces a steadfastness in us. And what does that steadfastness do? When steadfastness has its full effect, it says that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. James doesn't say, pray this prayer, you will be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. No, he says, if you want to be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing, you're going to have to go through trials. You're going to have to go through tests. 
which makes a lot of sense whenever uh, in Hebrews 5, although he was a son, Jesus, right? He learned obedience through what? Through what he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became the source of salvation to all who obey him. Like that passage is it's not saying that Jesus was not perfect at some point. Like, oh, Jesus must have sinned and he had to be made perfect. That's not what it's talking about. When you look at James, James is saying we become perfect through what? Through testing, through trials. That's how Jesus, Jesus became perfect through what he suffered. He learned obedience. He learned how to trust God through challenging things in our lives. So isn't that that's a feel-good sermon so far, huh? You guys ready to go? It's good, though, because we need to hear these things because what happens is, is we don't, and a trial comes, and we start going, woe is me, and God doesn't love me anymore, and I guess, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm questioning my faith, and yeah, I'm just being real, right? We've got to get that foundation strong. The last one, verse I want to read, then we'll move back, thinking about this test that God gives Abraham. And I love this. Proverb is Proverbs 17.3. Uh, a crucible for silver, a smelter for gold, and the Lord is tester of hearts. How do you like that? Yeah, you know, we quote, you know, who God is and the names of God. Let's just say, the Lord is the tester of the hearts. Yeah! Who knows what a crucible and a smelter is? I was watching some videos yesterday just to remind myself and think through it. So I watched this guy on YouTube, and he had some gold, and it was kind of in like dust-type form. It had impurities and all that kind of stuff. And he had a, a little crucible, which is kind of like a little cup, and it can be made of metal or uh, ceramic or different things like that. He puts this gold, like dust, impure stuff inside, and then puts flux. I didn't know what flux was, but I need to. And he puts this in. There's this black powder. Then he takes that and he puts it into a smelter and it's an enclosed thing and he just, you just heat that sucker up. And you guys have seen what happens to metals and stuff. When they get really hot, it's like lava. So it gets it that hot. Then he pulls the crucible out and he dumps this thing out after it gets cool. And there's this, I see a little gold and a bunch of black stuff all around it. He takes his hammer and just taps it and there's this little gold ball right there. And all of the impurities and the flux was all around the edges. So what it was happening was he was heating it up in order to reveal the impurities inside of it in order that it can be more pure. That's what he's saying. That's what the proverb is saying, that God heats things up in your life. He allows it to take place so that you can see the areas that we need to grow in in our lives. Isn't that fun? Like you have, you know, you have that conversation, you get done with it and you just, you know, you feel kind of bad. It's probably the Holy Spirit saying, hey, that's not how I created you, you know. And it's kind of difficult to go through, but he's changing your character. You know, he's, he's, he's changing. What are you going to do in this situation? I think I mentioned that last week with being a disciple. And it ties back to a disciple because I know last week I mentioned that this is not a, you know, we treat so many things like it's just a silver bullet, a magic prayer or whatever. That's not what it means to walk with the Lord. It's growth. It takes time. And so God is going to test Abraham well, Abraham's already done some, you know, left his family, all this stuff. Now God's like, all right, Abraham, let's go for another test. So the tests don't really stop. We just continue to grow, and it refines us. That's why we should, should consider it joy. So next time you go through a trial, tribulation, we're going to jump up and down and praise the Lord, right? Praise the Lord. Sorry, I have someone in one of my Bible studies, and she says it like that. I just love it. She's so country. Praise the Lord. All right. <clears throat> Verse 2. Actually, he, when he responds, here I am, I think that's a pretty good response we should have, huh? <laughs> Samuel and I, Isaiah does it. Here I am, Lord, use me. 
when God's speaking to respond, here I am. Take your son, he said, your only son Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I tell you about. We've heard this story so many of us so many times. So let's just put ourselves as Abraham right now. All right? God comes to you. Here I am. Like, you're probably excited. What God's going to say? Like, is this, you know, God, what great thing do you have to happen next? And he says, okay, this is what I need you to do, Abraham. I need you to go kill your son. Like, I mean, just like put yourself in that. Like, a lot of people don't like this, ver- this passage, right? Like, they think like God is like crazy. Like, why would God do this? Why is he, you know, asking this? Because we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God thinks that child sacrifice is abhorrent to him, right? People even, some people believe that this is actually, part of that is one of the reasons that this is in this passage to show that that is not God's heart. But God tells you to kill your only child. What, how do you respond to something like that? You know? And then on top of it, maybe I'll have some kids that you would be okay with that. Maybe not him, but, oh, maybe him, actually. No. Oof, that's bad. Okay. (laughs) But on top of that, not only is it the horror of, like, kill your child, all of God's promises are wrapped up in this child, right? So you guys ever have, like, you feel like a calling from God or something that God is calling you to or a promise some type of a ministry, something. And, you've, and maybe you've been praying about it for years and you've been like, God, when are you going to fulfill this thing? And finally, it starts to blossom. Like he has Isaac, right? Does anyone have that? Like it starts to blossom and you, like you're in tears. You're like, God, thank you. Thank you, God, that, that, that for 10 years I've sowed into this and I've, wanted to, I've prayed for this or for five years I've done this and now we're starting to see the fruit and then God says, now go kill it. Who do you trust? What do you trust? Do you trust me more or do you trust this blossoming ministry or this thing that I've called you to? So not, it's a double whammy. It's his son whom he loves deeply and it's the promise that God's given as the calling in his main calling in his life to birth a nation. All of it's wrapped up in Isaac and God says, all right, put him on the altar. What's so intriguing is the next verse that says simply, so Abraham got up in the morning. Like, not that far before, Abraham's arguing with God about Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you remember? Like, God says, I'm going to wipe out Sodom because of the evil that they've done. I'm going to put my judgment on Sodom. And Abraham's like, God, well, what if there's 50 righteous people? What if there's 45? What if there's 40? It kind of gets monotonous as you read through that. What if there's 10 righteous people? Maybe it's not recorded. There might have been a deeper conversation. But it's interesting that it's not, isn't it? That he would argue with God about Sodom and Gomorrah, and with this, he simply just says, so Abraham left. He went. I think that's a huge order that God, tall order that he asked him to do in Abraham's response. Though maybe he did. Maybe he argued, and we just don't have it recorded. But it just says, Abraham got up early in the morning. Isn't that cool, too? He went the next day. God didn't, he didn't delay. He didn't, like, think about that. Like, he just went. He just walked in obedience to God. Some of the way that he responds here may show us why God used Abraham. He saddled his donkey and took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. He split wood for the burnt offering and set out to go to the place God had told him about. 
Now on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. So this wasn't only like a, this wasn't like a, let's sacrifice, this is a 30-minute worship session. This is like, go kill your son. I'm just being like, let's just be, it's raw, right? Go kill your son, go kill all your promises, and now be on a journey, and this is going to take three days to even get there. Then Abraham said to his, to, to his young men, so the guys that came with him, he said, stay here with the donkey, the boy and I will go over there to worship, then we'll come back to you. Do you know where the first mention of the word worship in the whole Bible is? Right here. It has nothing to do with instruments or voices or choirs or none of that. Huh? Or songs. Yeah. Songs, none of it. The first mention of the word worship has to do with giving your most prized possession <laughs> in honor of God. And I, I, I thought about that so much because, you know, we just have these mindsets. You know, so we have to decompartmentalize, I think. Um, hold up, I'm thirsty. <sighs> Sometimes I get parched, you know. You have to talk in front of people, you get a little thirsty. Um, deconstruct, not decompartmentalize. Sometimes we have to deconstruct the way that we've thought about church and, and, and all these different things. Like we hear the words worship and nine times out of ten, our minds oftentimes just go to singing, right? Or to uh, listening to music as we sing to God and stuff like this. This is, this is, this is what worship is. That, that word worship means to prostrate. In this, in this um, verse, it means to prostrate and to bow down, to show honor. So, right, so a king would come and you would prostrate yourself down before him. That's what the word worship means, okay? And I really thought about that because God has spoken to my heart a lot this week, and I've had to be in repentance, that I have often, man, I make my life about me so much. I'm just being real. Like, even ministry, like God's been bringing me through some things, and I'm like, man, I just, I'm selfish. Like, I'm worried about me. Whenever we recognize the value of God, our eyes get fixed on him. Worship is us. Like, this isn't about Abraham and Isaac. They participate in it. But it's about bringing a sacrifice to God and walking in obedience because he's worth it, right? I, th I thought God gave me this, like, cool analogy. Like, you know, if we had a wedding right here, we'd have this center aisle. And some of you ladies have had the chance to, to walk. And us as guys stood up probably shaking in our boots like this, trying not to, you know, my wife was so beautiful, I just couldn't, so nervous. I was, I was nervous. I was nervous. I was only 20, so I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> I was like, well, let's just get married, I guess. <laughs> um, but it was good. It worked out. Best decision of my life, that's what she said. Maybe. No, I'm just kidding. Of course it is. I'm just, the best decision was following the Lord. Second best decision. <laughs> All right. But when that moment happens, and, you know, whether you play the traditional bride march or whatever the heck that is, or they play something else, when the bride comes in, what do we all do? We stand. Like, and that's kind of a cultural thing for us. We usually stand to honor people would be our culture, right? And so we stand up and we honor, and dead gummit, every eye is on her in a good way. I don't mean dead gummit. That was probably bad. Every eye is on her. My eyes are, like, on her, no matter who I am, whether it was my wife or anybody else's. Isn't that amazing, ladies? You get a, all these eyes are on you. Does it make you nervous? I don't know. Or you're just looking at your husband probably and thinking, I'm getting married and getting excited. But, when, you know, when the wedding's over, do you ever hear anyone go, dang, man, did you see the way we stood up? We killed it. I swear. Man, I was like this. Hey, I was like this, dude. It's not about us, <laughs> like, in that 
two, that worship is, uh, we're, we're honoring the person that's walking in, right? We're so caught up in the beauty and the majesty of God. Like, that's what worship is. It's so focused that it's not just a song or a moment of this. It's a lifestyle of being so captivated by God that everything is his. And that if he asks us to do things that are really hard, we just know it's for good. We know that it's going to produce something good that God is doing, even though it may be very hard. So that's the mention of the first worship. The, the first mention of the word worship in the whole Bible. Verse 6 says, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. In his hand he took the fire and the knife, and the two of them walked on together. Then Isaac spoke to his father. This moment had to have been like heartbreaking, I feel like. Unless Abraham just had the faith and just like, no way, this isn't going to happen. And he may have. We'll talk about that. But can you imagine like you're walking with your son, God saying, you're going to lay them on the altar. He says, hey, daddy. He says, my father. And he replied, here I am, your son. Isaac said, the the fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Like, I just, that just touched me to think, like, one, think of Judah or one of my kids going, Dad, Daddy, we've got all this stuff. Where's the, where's the sacrifice? And like, Abraham's response is, God, Abraham answered, God himself will provide. Actually, that word provide is see. Um, the, I'll talk about that really briefly here in a second. <clears throat> the, the lamb for the burnt offering, my son, will show. Then the two men walked on together. So right here, Abraham either lied to his son, he's either being deceptive towards his son, or he actually believes that God's going to provide something here. Right? Um, I'll read very briefly, Hebrews 11, uh, 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he's talking about this exact thing, offered up Isaac. He received the promises and yet was offering his one only son. He had received God's promises and that everything was coming through Isaac, and yet he was willing to give it all up to walk in what God was calling him to do. Um, The one whom it had been said, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. Verse 19, he considered God to be able to, God to be able even to raise someone from the dead, therefore he received him back figuratively speaking. So the Hebrew writer says, and it gives us that insight into Abraham at least thought, no matter what, God will raise Isaac from the dead. Why? Because God promised it. God promised, I'm going to confirm my covenant with Isaac, that it's going to, the, the, the nations the, the, of the earth are going to be blessed through this one nation, and it starts with you, Abraham, and it's going to go to your son Isaac. So he, he knows on this journey, he's thinking, all right, even if I have to kill my son, God will raise him up because God promised and God doesn't lie. So when they arrived, verse 9, when they arrived at the place that God had told him about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. So, I mean, like, Abraham's going through with this. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, said, Abraham, Abraham, and he replied, here I am. So right, I mean, he's got the knife, man. He's pulled it out. He has bound his son. I wonder what Isaac was thinking. Uh, There's some rabbinical things that say that Isaac said, tie him tighter, dad, whether that's true or not. Uh, It is what it is. (laughs) Or he could have been horrified. (laughs) What is happening? Um. I guess we'll find out one day. I can, hopefully I can sit down and talk with Isaac and say, hey, what was that like when your dad strapped you to an altar? <laughs> what, what was going through your head? <clears throat> it 
He replied, here I am. Then he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. So it wasn't, they didn't, this, this, God did not know that Abraham feared him just because Abraham said, I fear you. Right? It wasn't just because he quoted a Bible verse or, or prayed a prayer. It was because he laid down everything, even his own son and all the promises of God on an altar before God. Now I know that you actually fear me, Abraham. You've left your family, you've done all these things, but now I know that you fear, that you fear me. Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horn. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered as a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham named the place the Lord will provide so today, it is said it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. You know, like Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Yira. Um, this is the only time it's in the ver- in the whole Bible, by the way. And it's not really the Lord will provide; it's the Lord will see, the Lord will show. The reason that they use the word "provide" is to, in English, try to contextually help us understand what it's what it's saying. So those who are saying Je- Jehovah Jireh, my provider, and you love that song, I just just bursted your bubble potentially. The Lord will show or see. But it makes sense contextually. So it says here, y'all, I'm just going to kind of read through this really quickly and then share just a couple more things. The angel Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, this is the Lord's declaration, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your only son, I will indeed bless you. It's interesting that God already said he would do it, and now that he, he's confirming again what he's going to do because of what Abraham did. I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your offspring will possess the gates of their enemies. That's serious stuff. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed my command. I love this because I thought, you know, some people say, well, Again, why, why did God do this? I think there's a lot of different reasons that God put Abraham through this, and we've seen some of those today. I think an, another really cool thing is, you know, whenever the birth of the uh, nation of Israel took place, like this is God's chosen people, right? When, they were, when this was being birthed, isn't it incredible that it was being birthed in this much sacrifice, in this much willingness? Like I thought to myself, I wonder what the accuser and the principalities of the air and the enemy thought, who have rebelled against the Lord, when they looked at a man through whom a nation would be birthed, and they watched a man surrender everything to God and say, I don't care what happens to me, God. I give you everything. Like, just speaking to them, and they, the ones who fell because of that, it's just, it's just really beautiful, incredible. And such a moment, such, such a redeeming moment even for mankind right there that redemption of there, are, there can be healing for mankind. There can be men and women who do surrender themselves to the Lord instead of taking the selfish out. And it's just such a, such a beautiful moment. But the last thing I want to quickly share is that something that God had just really put on my heart um, this week was that I never kind of looked at it like this. Um, and it goes back to what I was mentioning earlier on. So I think that some of us, we have like these Isaacs in our lives. Like, we have these things that God has promised us, um, whether it be a ministry or whatever. I don't know what you want to call it. We can, all tons of things are ministries. Um, um, But God has promised these things. And oftentimes, when that takes place, God does test our heart along the way. 
I mean, he does. Straight up, he does. So ask yourself, are there places where God has, has even, I'm even seeing, as I mentioned earlier, the birth of something. Like, oh, wow, I've been waiting for this for years, and I'm starting to see it. And ask yourself what God wants you to do with that. Because I think, specifically, there are times whenever God says, you know what, let's just see where you're at. Lay it down. Lay it down. Now, he, like Isaac, did he lose Isaac? He didn't lose Isaac. But where is your heart? Are we fully surrendered to God? Are we completely surrendered? Are we really willing to do that? I know um, an old worship leader of Justin and I's, he used to sing on tours and tour with Bob Dylan and stuff. And when he gave his life to the Lord, God told him to put his guitar down for a year. Don't touch it. And like for some of us, like, oh, that's so easy. It's probably not so easy. I, I, I like to play music. <laughs> not so easy. But God just wanted to see his heart. You know, what is he, is, is his heart with the Lord or is it with music? But then when our heart gets straight with the Lord, then our music becomes more beautiful than it ever could be. You know what I mean? And so that's just something that God has just really been. And then the very last thing, I think I already said the last thing, so I'm doing the preacher thing. I hate when preachers do this. I hate it. I do. I'm like, I, I, that's my, my critical nature comes out. I'm like, you had three last points. You said I've got three points, and now you're making your fourth and your fifth. It kind of gets under my skin. So I repent for doing this. I try not to never do this, but I'll just read Romans 12. So many of us have had this, but I know Paul had this in mind, you know, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in the view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, right? Not just, not just a song. Though God loves songs. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true worship. Our true worship is laying down everything and surrendering it all to God. And ask yourself this week, is there anything that I'm not surrendering to God? Um, ask yourself this week or whenever we go through tests, what is God refining in my life? And how can I yield everything to him? Father, we... Um, Really, I'm, I'm, I'm in awe at the obedience of Abraham as I read through this. And I'm so thankful that this nation of Israel that, that you birthed so many years ago that would bless all of us to this day <laughs> was birthed in a place where a man surrendered everything to you, Lord. God, I pray that we would be people like that. That, God, that no matter what we have in our lives, no matter what's going on in our lives, Lord, um, no matter, God, if we, if we see some good things happening and if you say, I just want you to put that on the altar. I just have felt that on my heart that, there's, that the Lord's speaking that to, to some people today. Like there's something God's just saying, I need you to put this on the altar. Um, not that he won't give it back, but that, that it's become bigger than obedience and, 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 and following him in love. This, like even ministry can become like an idol to us. And I have had to repent for that so many times, God. Um, that, and I, I, I pray this prayer for myself too, Lord. Any area, any blind spot in my life, God, where there's something uh, where I, I haven't allowed myself to be a living sacrifice or I've got some other things, Lord God, uh, that my eyes are set on. They're not set on you. I just pray that you would reveal it, Lord, so that we, we can all be refined as pure gold, Lord, because you are worth that type of a, a, a people, a, a people who are wholly surrendered and in total love with you, that show your love and your mercy and your truth and your justice to this world, God. We want to be like that. So we open up our hearts and uh, we thank you for your word today. In Jesus' name, amen.